Radio Free Nintendo, our eighth episode. I'm your host, Mike Sklenz, and my co-host, as always, is Evan Birchfield. Hey there. <laughs> we skipped last week due to the merriment of the 4th of July. We were making things explode, as is the great American tradition. Yeah, I've, I've got, I went to the hospital even, so. Wow, it hasn't, really? It hasn't been that good of a week for me, so. Wow. One of my friends <laughs> almost got hit by a mortar. <laughs> it's funny how in in order in a way as a way of celebrating the independence of our country from the British Empire we set things on fire. Hey, hey, listen. The French are going to do the same thing in like 4 days. Really? Well, I guess by the time this goes up, the French will be doing the same thing in 2 days because it will be Bastille Day. Ah, Bastille Day. What does that mean? Does that have any sort of significance at all or do they just say we want to blow things up holiday? It's marked as the beginning of the French Revolution. Oh. When the Bastille oh, was stormed which... and the prisoners were set free. Okay. Something I would expect you to know, honestly. <laughs> Sorry. All right, well, now that we're done talking about the French, who also, I guess we're not done talking about the French, because I, I, I feel bad about their crushing defeat in the World Cup, even if even if there was that crazy headbutt by the French player Zidane. Did you watch the World Cup, Evan? Oh, I'm sorry, but no. No, what time was it on? Like 5 a.m.? 2.30. In the afternoon. What? Oh, yeah, they repeat sports events um, as interesting as they are. They're not that interesting when you already know it's going to happen. No, they played it live at 2 in the afternoon. When? Like the final one? On Sunday, yeah. Oh, okay. See, you know, I don't keep track of this kind of stuff. Well, I guess that'd be 11 in the, that'd be 11 in the morning for you, though, so. Well, on a Sunday? Yeah, on this, just this past Sunday. Yeah, no, totally can't do that. So. Anyway. Um, no, see... Sports let's, events. Let's, Come let's on. just skip past it. Um, if you like soccer, <laughs> if you like soccer or football, you should be playing Mario Super Strikers because it's lots of fun. And so, with that, I will bring us on to our first topic: is that um, Nintendo has given President Bush for his, I believe, it's 60th birthday, a DS Lite and a copy of Brain Age: Train Your Brain in Minutes a Day. <laughs> yeah, what a nice gift. You know, it's, he doesn't look 60. He does, I don't think he looks sixty. Not quite. I don't know, but I I think it's I guess it's almost sort of a double-edged sword to give him this kind of gift, if you ask me. Because on one end they are giving him a present, and I I think Johnny pointed it out to me that the main goal or the main drive behind this obviously has to be that this is the kind of really stupid thing that Fox News is going to air in the middle of the day when they have nothing to talk about, and it essentially boils down to free publicity for Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, more power to him, I guess. Yeah, more power to him. But on the other end, aren't they sort of saying, President Bush, you're kind of dumb? Like, does, I don't know, am I the only <laughs> one who gets that kind of vibe from this? Or do I just get that kind of vibe from that man all the time, maybe? <laughs> I get that kind of vibe from it, too. But it, I think it could go two ways. Either that, that is entirely unintentional. Nintendo just did not realize that they were saying to the historically considered a dumb president that he's he really needs to sharpen or they just really didn't think about it and you know I really don't think I think they thought about it and amounted to them they didn't really care either way like I think maybe the people who want to see that in the story will see it and everyone else won't yeah so if it's if it's played on Fox News then you know unless Fox News turns it into this kind of a of a Nintendo insults the president's type story and I'm sure in which case didn't. it's going to completely backfire if they do. I'm sure they didn't, because they probably don't know enough about the game. Yeah, but who knows? It could end up be. It could just end up a really positive thing, getting, getting, you know, it's the kind of stuff that, yeah, not even Fox News, but any 
television news station is yeah. going to cover this because it's just it's just the quirky stuff that goes on at the end of the show. Yeah, you know? well, and Nintendo is known for this specific style of marketing, which is public events and that kind of stuff where, you know, oh, we're going to make the world's largest bowl of spaghetti to celebrate the release of the new Mario game. How much does that cost, you know? Next to nothing, and you invite all the local news stations in San Francisco where you do it, and they all put it on their morning show because it's one of those crazy things you report on in the morning show, and it's free publicity. Yeah. Nintendo, I mean, I remember just just maybe last year or two years ago, when when it was when it was whenever Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door came out right here in right here in Tallahassee, Florida, where I live, they they had Mario come out and present a door to Habitat for Humanity as and they also they gave they bought a thousand doors and gave them to Habitat uh, for Humanity, you know, and they did it right here in Tallahassee, I guess, because it was right wow. after the hurricanes two years ago uh-huh. here. I think that I think they give me an electronic device. To a world leader as a birthday present is just in general a bad idea. I mean, no. how, how do we know that when this thing arrived on the doorsteps of the White House that it didn't get sent to the bomb squad and blown up? Yeah, but you know what? If that happened, no one ever knows because it doesn't say that in the press release. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I guess not. I guess, uh, you know, they, they probably take a we do not negotiate with terrorist stance, so therefore. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure they scan every package that goes into that building in the first place. Sure, I would think that Nintendo, you know, Nintendo must have told the president they were going to do this beforehand, hopefully. And if they've done so, and they're probably in agreement for the president to do something with it, or no. at the very least, for news retailers or news outlets to uh, to comment on it. Oh, of course. And you know, what did that cost them? It cost them whatever the the manufacturing cost on a DS Lite is plus, you know, the manufacturing cost on BrainAge. So it cost them like maybe a hundred dollars to do that. Maybe. I wonder if when it opens up, it makes a little dun da 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 noise like it did when they sent it to the journalists. <laughs> that'd be great if they sent it to them in that box, the little light up box. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, that would be a problem if I saw that box on my doorstep. I would call the bombs box. <laughs> <laughs> then you could throw them a birthday party. No, really? That was a bad joke? What? I didn't get it. Oh. And then you Because <laughs> it plays music and it lights up. You could throw them a birthday party when the bomb squad showed up. Right. Oh. Yeah, okay, yes, it was a bad joke then. Let's move on. Let's just put it behind us. Our, <laughs> next, our next topic is um, a couple of rumors have been floating around the internet about Super Smash Bros. Brawl. Um, the, f- the first one we're going to cover... Well, I guess I'll talk about them both. The, f- the two of them are that... the may or may not include destructible environments, and the other is that it may or may not include customizable characters. So we'll start off with destructible environments. Um, I think it's a silly rumor because Smash Brothers already includes destructible environments. How so? Um, well, if on the on the planet Zebus level, or Zebes, or however you pronounce it... <laughs> Zebes? I, I always thought it was Zebes. Well, I don't know. I usually say Zebus. With the, on the, I'm, talk, I'm talking about the one with the, with the rising lava. I guess that's the sure, North Fair level. Sure. Um, there's those little things at the bottom, and you can destroy them, and the level splits in half. And then in other parts, there are those two little columns, and if you attack them enough, the little platforms they support sort of bow out. And I would call that an extractable environment. I'm I'm gonna disagree with you because there's other than that, you know, there's the Kirby's Dreamland stage where the blocks can yeah. be destroyed, and then there's the but Super see, Mario Brothers level where the blocks can be destroyed. 
Sure. I don't know about that, though, because we're talking about an environment that just has interactive elements. When they say destructible stages, they're implying something far more than just a spring-loaded, going to um, regenerate in a few seconds item in the stage. So you're talking more about, like, deformable terrain? Like, if you hit something, like, if, if you're in Onet or, or, or any, like, like if you're in a net and you throw a bomb at a building, that it's going to sort of crumble and fall over. That's what I think is implied by the rumor. Not that I think that that would actually aid the Smash Brothers gameplay in any way, because when you consider it, the best Smash Brothers stages are the ones that are just freaking flat. The yep. ones that are you know three tiers, and there's a the big one on the top, two in the middle, and then a flat one on the bottom. Yeah, the battleground and, and Final Destination are. Yeah, two of the best stages. That's that's Smash Brothers for me. I think that the some of the other complicated ones offer variety and spice, and I play on random with random selection. Oh, but me the too. Best battles happen when you don't have to you don't have to deal with that stuff. I mean, to me, Pokemon Stadium offers the best of it because it's either that flat stage and then it turns into one with terrain. That's personally I can, my favorite stage. Yeah, I think it's a lot of people's favorite stage. That's definitely mine. Uh, so. I, I think that the destructible environments rumor, while plausible, is something that really has to be defined because what it's going to end up is if the, if the environment can be crumbling around you and it stays that way until you're done with the battle, then that means that in a long battle you'll just reduce the entire arena to a flat landscape and then mm -hmm. you'll be over. So I think that there's got to be some sort of gameplay thing there. They've got to actually prove to us, and it's going to only be on certain levels. There's, it's got to oh, be... I'm betting it's going to be more like the spring-loaded stuff that you're talking about in Metroid, and that this rumor of destructible environments is nothing more than just an expansion on the previously uh, interactive environments. They're just going to try and make them a little bit more. Because you imagine Hyrule, the Hyrule Temple level, mm -hmm. not not interactive. There's nope. nothing going on in that level at all. It's just set. So I think that they're going to make. See just now, sort if of you're looking at something like the Hyrule Temple level, it would be really cool if you could get in a little elevator and, you know, go up and down a certain part of it because it's very much reminiscent of uh, Adventure of Link and, you know, had those elevators that you could oh, ride sure. up and down. And that would be really great. But that's not destructible. That's interactive. Yeah. I think that, you know, having sort of a... Um, some making When you think about a level and just consider it as far as what can be added to it, what can be destroyed, what can be thrown, what can be put into it to make it really sharp, I think that that's what they're going to do. Instead of just saying, okay, we're going to theme... Kirby, Kirby's level after the Kirby's, you know, Kirby's Fountain. Okay, what what is Kirby's Fountain? It's nothing. It's Kirby's. It's a Kirby. It's a flat level with Kirby music playing. It's got slippery floors. Okay, but <laughs> you know, so does the Ice Climbers level. So I'm I'm not buying it. I think that what they're trying to do is take that kind of thing that we see on the ZB's level, and uh, bring it further. So in that, I guess I'm both agreeing and disagreeing with you. I agree with you that. It's something that what they're going to do is something they've already done, but I disagree that the, the term destructible environments, if that's the rumor, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what this probably all really is, I'm sure the genesis of this entire rumor is like two guys sitting around a room saying, oh, wouldn't it be cool if just putting it on their blog? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and, I, I, yeah. I'm under the impression about that's how the blogosphere works, basically. Yeah, where was the where was where was this from? I forget. This rumor? I don't know. Okay, the source on it did not look too reliable, but I'll go recheck that later and maybe post something in the talkback thread if I have to take that back. But, okay. Uh, yeah. And the other the the second rumor. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, are you kidding me? Customizable characters? Whatever. <sighs> are you serious? <laughs> I don't buy it. What do you think? I don't buy it either. I think if anything, it 
if anything, if there's going to be some sort of customizable element to the characters, it might be that you could go into some sort of editor and change the color of Mario's overalls or, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, give him a different kind of hat or maybe add a raccoon tail that serves no functional purpose. It'll be, if anything, completely aesthetic and very minimal, but I'm going to even say that I don't even think it exists in the first place. I think it's another, ooh, wouldn't it be cool if situation. Yeah. Well, I think that the balance of Smash Brothers is so tight that it's going to be very difficult for them to actually say that they can numerically... Yeah. Number every feature and say, okay, everybody gets 20 points. Distribute them as you want. Because each the balance in the game comes from the fact that while Falco is super fast, his attacks are fairly weak. You can't then go in there and say, okay, I'm going to slow him down and make his attacks more powerful. He's no yeah. longer Falco. There's no point to that. Uh, I think that if there's anything we're looking at here, and this is maybe hinted at by the fact that there's two Samuses, and we don't know if they're going to be changed during gameplay like Zelda and Sheik were in, in Melee, or if they're going to be two separate characters, I'm betting that what we'll see is uh, more of an interchange of abilities. Like with Mario, you can either have the B button throw a fireball, or you can have the B button you know, pick up a mushroom or pick up a vegetable, something like that. Where it's like, if you want to, you can change Mario to be Mario A, Mario B. Sort of like Mario, Dr. One. Mario. Like where they're the same character, but Kind of like. Yeah. Except they'll do that with every character, where every character just kind of has an A set and a B set on their moves. Maybe. Like So that way you, you don't have to select Zelda and then immediately switch to Sheik, who's superior. You can choose Zelda at the beginning if you want, or choose Sheik at the beginning. And that's the two sides of that character. That's a possibility, but again, even then, I don't know. I don't think that that's... Why would you do that when you could just list more characters on the screen? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And there, I don't know if there's any reason for either of these rumors to come true. Of course, if this person is reliable that's saying this kind of stuff, uh, if they, if this ends up being true, then it's going to be done in a in such a specific way, in such a in such a refined way that it'll work. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind they'll make it work, but it just isn't what everybody thinks it's going to be. I think, it, like I said, I think it's going to be purely aesthetic where you could change Mario's outfit color or maybe you could change the energy blast that comes from Fox's gun from red to green or, you know, <laughs> entirely pointless stuff like that. Sure. Um, next on our list for this week is the ever-popular listener mail. Um, could you please read this week's... No, that's a terrible intro, but oh well. Could you please read this week's listener mail, Evan? <laughs> sure, I would love to. The question is from our friend David Taylor over in Texas. He says... Now the GameCube platform is winding down. What are some of the most underrated games that are still worth playing? Because he says that he's always looking for cheap games to pick up. He personally wants to remember Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy and also Gladius. Um, and while I haven't played either of those two specifically, I do know some, some people who are big fans of Gladius. My roommate played Sphinx and the Cursed Mummy, and he said it was enjoyable, if not, it was not great, but enjoyable. And there's a lot of those games on GameCube that are just, you know, for me, I, I buy the big stuff. I buy the stuff that is supposed to be either revolutionary or, or really out there. And so that's why, you know, for me, I've got the Zelda games, the Mario games. And Killer7 to me is about as far out as I go when it comes to uh, maybe an underselling game. I really think that Killer7 is, and I'm only a little bit of a ways into it, I really think that that game is... Um, is revolutionary and probably underappreciated because of its difficulty in in theme and and storytelling. So that would be my recommendation. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give out a couple. Um, I'm just looking at my shelf of GameCube games here, and I'm gonna pick a couple. Um, I probably won't talk about very much about each except for maybe one. Um, Beach Spikers Virtual Beach Volleyball is a lot of fun and very cheap, 
and it's just an excellent volleyball game. Um, Beyond Good and Evil, which critically not underrated at all, but no, sales-wise, it bombed hardcore despite being incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Crazy Taxi, I'm sure you can get that for next to nothing if you can even find a copy. Easily yeah. one of my top five video games of all time. What? Crazy, crazy Taxi? Taxi? Completely. Seriously? Yeah. No, see, I started out, I played Crazy Taxi quite a bit on the Dreamcast. I've still Me got too. my copy on the Dreamcast. Yeah. Uh, is it better on the GameCube? Um, With the controller? The or? controls, Um. well, there's no slowdown at all like there was on the Dreamcast version. There's a little slowdown oh. there. There's no slowdown at all. Um, other than that, it's just exactly the same except the voice acting has changed. But you still get The Offspring and Bad Religion, which are two of the reasons that that game is incredible. What? Okay, sorry. Great Disagree. soundtrack. Pure frantic action. I music. turn off. I turn off the sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fantastic. I get so tired of that. No. It's so the only problem is that there's only like six songs in the whole game, and one of them is reserved for the menus, and one of them is reserved for the credits. But yeah. Other than that, I don't care. All those songs are great. I love them all. Okay. Well, if it, if it matches your taste, which I can see that it does, then yeah. Yes. Okay. Sure. That's a great soundtrack. If you're like you know maybe 95% of the rest of sensible game players, and you hate that kind of music, then I would say that is one of the worst soundtracks to any video game ever. Right. And that is one of the main contentions I have with it. Next on my list is Pac-Man Versus, which is available for $20, and it's included with Pac-Man World 2. So you pay $20 for the player's choice version of Pac-Man World 2, and it comes with Pac-Man Versus. So you're getting two games. Pac-Man World 2 is actually pretty fun. I mean, it's a good platformer. It's it's linear, except you're moving forward. It's not like Pac-Man World 3 or Mario 64 even where it's open. It's like the levels move from the from the beginning to the end. You know, you move straight through them and they're a lot of fun. But Pac-Man versus as long as you have wave birds because <laughs> trading controllers with cables is a pain in the ass, but as long as you have wave birds, Pac-Man versus is some of the best fun you can have on your GameCube as long as you have three other people to play it with and a Game Boy Advance. Well, my final choice is Smugglers Run War Zones, which is a game I got to review thinking initially that, you know, oh, this is just going to be another game and it'll be completely mediocre. But in multiplayer is a complete blast where it's like the most frantic thing ever. The cars don't control at all like real cars. You slide all over the place. You're flying around. You can make hairpin turns like nothing else. And it is a ton of a ton of fun if you've got friends to play it with. Okay. Well, I haven't personally played that last one, but I will say that, David, you should know that although we can't cover a lot here on the podcast, that it's actually already been planned by our director to have a feature of some sort that talks about the underrated games. And that's kind of a little sneak preview for you that there will be uh, fairly soon, I would say in just a couple weeks, you'll get to see detailed analysis of all the games that we find for the GameCube have been underappreciated. So, and that's going to be from all the staff rather than just just Mike and I. Even though our opinions are more important anyway. D- definitely, I'm all I absolutely agree. Um, but uh, I, I guess that there is a chance that one of them may know a little bit more than uh, than we, but it, not not likely. Yeah, and um, moving on to our next topic is the rumor of real information coming out regarding the Resident Evil title for Wii. Um, According to Nintendo Official Magazine, they received information regarding the new Resident Evil game, but it did not make it in time for the presses, so this information will be published in their next issue. 
Okay. And that's all they say is that they know information about it and they will be publishing it in their next issue. And there's a tease image. Apparently it's a shadow, shadowed out image of Leon from Resident Evil So they didn't even actually say the words Resident Evil. No, they did. They said they have information on the Resident Evil Wii game. I've heard that. I've heard that. What they actually, because no one's actually seen this. Yeah, this is all from the internet, of course. Yeah. So I've what I've heard is that they never even say. They, I don't think they even say Resident Evil there. I think that they just say a certain game, and then they show an outline of Leon. Kennedy. Okay. So based on that, that means that Leon Kennedy doesn't serve any significance to the game, nope. rather than just to say it's going to be Resident Evil information that we give you. We're just not allowed to say that. Yeah. And guess guess what? Guess, guess what? The Resident Evil information that we're gonna get is that it's you know some awesome gun survivor game. Yeah, I'm my I will place my bet on record now that I based on pure speculation and with no prior knowledge and no no secret knowledge, I will say right now that I think there is an almost definite chance that the Resident Evil title for Wii is going to be Resident Evil Dead Aim. Which is, for those not familiar, Resident Evil Dead Aim is the Resident Evil light gun game. Woot. Sounds awesome. I think a lot of developers are looking at the Wii and thinking, oh man, light guns are going to be so easy because all we need is a shell. We don't need to make a real light gun that really, you know, has all those fancy components that hook up to your television. It's just... Okay, there's a problem with this, though, is that the we've already established that where you point with the Wii remote is not where you actually are uh, aiming at on the screen. But the, no, at yes, least it in is. all of the first on, on all the first person games, Metroid and Red Steel, it is not where you're pointing on the screen yes, but that I the think shows up. The big important thing there is that you are also moving around in the game world. Whereas with yeah. with a pure light gun game, you control no movement. You just shoot everything that's on the screen and then you move forward to the next area. But that, that sensor bar is is triangulating. It is taking four or five different pieces of information and putting them together to form a a solid guess of just create a a consistent schematic of where your cursor is in relation to the screen. It's not it's not taking that sensor and and in the same way as a light gun beaming directly to where you're pointing. I don't think that you could hold up the light gun shell uh, to the screen and in an easy way, similar to a light gun, and using the Wii hardware, aim exactly where you want I to. think as long as there was a quick calibration, or not even, did you play the uh, the Duck Hunt, which is not Duck Hunt, but the quote Duck Hunt Wii game <laughs> at E3? No, I didn't. Did you? Yes, and that's exactly how it was. If I pointed to the top left, it went to the top left. It went to the top left. Did yes. you? Were you able to line up the cursor with your eye? I never really tried. All I know is that it felt like it was pointing exactly where I was pointing it okay. at. Okay. And I think as long as there's some sort of calibration thing, like you know, on the DS where you hit the four corners, you know, then it would know. Sure. Yeah. I, I'll hold out hope for that. But it's n at least if you look at the Wii system and assume that that's how it works, where it's just it's immediately pointing that cursor wherever you're pointing with the controller, you're wrong. That's not how the Wii works, and that's what we saw at E3, and that's why a lot of people, because I, I played Bomberman Land, which, albeit, is a, just a tech demo. Well, so is Duck Hunt, really. Uh, Bomberman Land had, a, had an aiming game, too. It was called Shooting Gallery. For Yeah, well, yeah. both of them were tech demos, and the Bomberman Land tech demo was exactly the same, where I was holding the controller down at my waist and just moving it around like an analog stick. It just felt a lot more intuitive than an analog stick, not quite as good as if I had had the, if I was actually pointing at the screen. There's a reason why Duck Hunt, instead of being a light gun game where you don't actually see the cursor, has a cursor on screen. 
If there yeah. was no cursor on screen, then that would prove that the system is going to be just reading wherever you shoot. Oh, but course. they need a cursor because of the way the system works. So, well, and you need a uh, cursor because with any just like a light gun game, you need to be you need to keep track of where you're pointing at. But no, you wouldn't do that in a light gun game. House well, no, of I the guess Dead. You wouldn't. Yeah, you don't. Do you? There's Never no mind. cursor, so that's because a light gun works differently. So that's why I'm I'm not holding out any hope. I don't think that if this is if this is really Resident Evil Dead aim, <laughs> I could care less. I could absolutely care less. Even if we had a light gun, I could care less if it was Resident Evil Dead Aim. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I hold out hope, but wasn't there an advertisement in E3 that actually showed, I think I saw it on Joystick, that said, um, it said, we plus Resident Evil 4 plus Gun Survivor equals question mark. And that was like the advertisement for the next RE game, and that was Capcom's official announcement that didn't, there was going to be another Resident Evil game. see it at all. Sounds like a headline made up by Joystick. Yeah, so it's possible, but it looked as though it was actually an advertisement in E3, so unless I'm just completely remembering wrong, I think that was what ever got everybody up and saying, oh, Capcom and Resident Evil. Nah. Someone correct me, please. I'm probably just hallucinating. <laughs> um, but either way, I think they've already pretty much confirmed that, yeah, this is not Resident Evil 5. That's coming out for the PlayStation 3. And the Xbox 360, supposedly. Yeah, so we're getting left in the cold. But, you know, I mean, I want it. I want Resident Evil. After Resident Evil 4, I really do want, I do want Resident Evil 5 on the Wii. Mm -hmm. And if they're, if they're going to stay true to Nintendo, which they don't have to anymore, then they could very well, they could just surprise us and say, oh, made you think that we weren't going to do it on Wii, but actually Wii is going to be the Supreme Edition mm -hmm. that's coming out first, and the other ones are not, are right. coming out later. Yeah, well, so I guess knows? That brings us to the end of this week's Radio Free Nintendo. I've been your host, Mike Sklens. My co-host, as always, is Evan Birchfield. Uh, once again, if you have any questions, comments, complaints, you can send them to podcast at planetgamecube.com or leave them in the talkback thread for this episode's summary. Also, listener mail. I'm going to plug it every week because I love listener mail. Um, if you have a question, maybe about Super Paper Mario, <laughs> then please send it in to podcast at planetgamecube.com. And with that, um, Evan and I will leave you, um, in honor of Bastille Day, we will leave you adieu. Parting is such sweet sorrow. <sighs> what is this crap? <laughs> French nonsense. Give me some freedom fries. <laughs> well, you can eat your freedom fries and report back to me on how they're not as good as the, the quality ingredients in French fries next week. I see it. I see it. You're a socialist, aren't you? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening. <laughs>